with the magic systems, there's a really easy and quick exercise that I actually like to do with people that I work with, anybody that I'm coaching, that kind of stuff. I call it speed dating your magic system. Uh, (laughs) And you have the main components of your story, character, plot, setting, theme, and elemental genre, or, or just genre, and then your magic system. With the exercise, you have one minute per item to write down the single thing that has you most interested about that component. where we discuss real, made-up things. I'll be your host today, Devin Pigman. I am an aspiring writer and permanent DM. Today we'll be discussing magic systems and how you can make one of your own. Joining me are Opal and Sean from the World Casting Crew, and joining us as our special guest today is C.R. Rowanson, a writing coach and developmental editor who specializes in helping authors create magic systems for fiction of all types. Thanks very much for joining me today, everyone, and why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? I'm Opal, also go by Zyvi. I'm an editor at World Building Magazine. I'm also working on a few other world building projects at the moment. Look forward to Kislaona, Dominican fantasy anthology coming out soon. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Hi, my name is Jack. I've been a community moderator for the World Building Magazine's Discord server for about two years now. Besides that, I'm an avid fan of pretty much all kinds of fiction. And in my free time, I've been dabbling in photography and pixel art. Thank you for having me. Hi, I'm Sia Rowanson, but when you're talking to me as a human, it's just Clark. Like Devin said, I am a developmental editor and writing coach. I also have a blog and YouTube channel where I talk about magic systems all the time, and I just love storytelling, and the only thing I love more than story structure and storytelling is magic systems. So yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, great to have you on. So, today's topic is all about magic and successfully building a system of your own. Uh, And I know I've looked through your blog a little bit, and this is something that you have been dedicating yourself to for quite a few years now, Clark. Yeah. So, when it comes to building a magic system, why? So, I mean, there's my opinions, and I definitely want to hear what your guys' thoughts are on it. The main reasons, one, magic systems are cool, and if you put in a magic system into your game, into your book, into your show, I am way more likely to consume it. Uh, But if you don't care about having me in your audience, that's fine. You don't need a magic system. The other thing is I think we, in general, as storytellers, are underutilizing magic systems. I think they are a really potent tool in our storytelling that we can use to bring across character development, plot, theme, and all kinds of stuff. It's a whole other aspect to stories that we've mostly been overlooking. Yeah, and I think that is something that a lot of people can kind of ignore about the possibilities of magic, is that oftentimes it is a very big character factor when you're trying to flesh out your fiction, in that it gives motivations not just to one character, but the world as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's really one of the main things to think about is what you're wanting to do with your story. Now, this isn't to say that absolutely everything has to have a purpose. You can throw a magic system into the background just because it's cool, but the more emphasis you put on it, the more you can get out of it by tying it to the different parts of your story. So it's just not something you should overlook. 
Yes, I love what you are saying. Those are like my favorite <laughs> magic systems are the ones that like tie in closely to the narrative, to the characters, and that like really emphasize things instead of just laying down in the background. And there's definitely yeah, rooms for all. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, that was, that was most of it. That's why I think you need one, is they're awesome and they can do a lot for your story. Now, if you're trying to figure out how to actually start building, there's often the question of whether you should build from the ground up or whether there are shortcuts and easy ways to take with that. And there are there are things that you can do. And it, again, depends really on what you want from your magic system. Because one of the other things I wanted to talk about is with storytelling in general, and especially with magic systems, we tend to get into a headspace as storytellers of wanting everything we do to be extremely creative and groundbreaking. And that isn't necessary. It's nice when we can pull that off, but you don't have to to tell a good story. You can retread ground, you can bring in familiar elements, and you can take pre-established patterns and put them into your story and tell something that is compelling and interesting to your audience. And I think it's the same with magic systems. So you don't always have to build from the ground up. You can take a system you really like and use that as a foundation for your own system. In fact, one of my videos, I talk about the underlying structure of the Mistborn magic, specifically Allomancy, and how you can take that structure and then reskin it. And that's sort of a shortcut as you're just taking the structure Sanderson built to jumpstart your own system. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of, not even just first-time authors, but people who maybe haven't gotten quite as big commercial success as you feel like you need to be this revolutionary voice that's coming up with all these brand new concepts that's no one ever thought of. It's like, that's great if you can, but by no means should that be the standard to which you're holding yourself. Absolutely. So I don't know if, what are your guys' preferences? I don't know if you've done much magic building. Do you prefer to start from scratch or do you prefer trying to find something to start with and build off of? I guess I'll go. I prefer elemental magic systems. I just think they're the coolest. And I've been, a lot of the media that I've come to enjoy and research were ones that were elemental. There's a lot I've enjoyed that weren't explicitly that, but just in the visual aspect of things, I think those are the coolest. So I kind of go off those and see what they each do differently and what I think that could be better or worse that I don't like. So, I mean, that's the main thing for me. I'm more of an editor, so usually my role when it comes to the creative process is kind of helping catch like inconsistencies and stuff like that in magic systems. But when I do make my own stuff, I usually start kind of from the ground up. Yeah, and then my experience, I've spent like a year or two trying to build a magic system that I'm happy with. Still a work in progress, but I'm getting there. I've been trying to ingrain it in the world that I'm building, and it has been very fulfilling, but at the same time, it's a lot to tackle, and there's a lot that I'm still not quite happy with just because of the way I need it to work with the story. Okay, like what kind of stuff is holding you up in terms of getting it integrated? So, and I think this is probably a somewhat common problem, is there's that fine line you have to tread between having, or for me at least, for having magic be this cool thing, but also I don't need it to solve every problem, and it's building in those hard limitations without crippling what I want it to be, that kind of is just, I'm treading a fine line still. Yeah, that's always a, I, I just realized that I automatically jumped into coaching mode, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. 
But yeah, that's definitely a, a tricky balance to maintain is figuring out how to balance it for what your story needs. And an, another thing to that I think to bear in mind going along the lines of originality is I think I'm pretty sure you guys have talked about this in some of your other episodes, but the actual power of tropes in our stories uh, yes. and mm-hmm. yes. how useful those can actually be. It's the same thing with magic systems. So just like Jack was saying, elemental magic is what I call an archetype because it comes with a whole bunch of different connotations. It's more than just a simple trope powered by emotion and whatnot. And having those can be really useful depending on what you want to do because they work as shortcuts into the brains of your audience. I don't know, are any of you guys experienced with writing microfiction or flash fiction? I do it on occasion, but it's not something that... I mean, I more read it, because uh, I love anthologies, so I read it a lot, but I don't write it as often. I've dabbled in it for a nano or two, but that's about my experience. Yeah, nothing here. Fair enough. So for anybody who's listening and isn't aware, microfiction and flash fiction are just incredibly short stories. I think the limits for those are something like 100 words and 1,000 words to tell your story. And when you're writing those, you often have to rely heavily on archetypes and preconceived notions that are already in the zeitgeist and in your audience's mind so that you can skip a whole bunch of explanation. I mean, a lot of the microfiction that I would do would fall on common things like zombies, undead vampires cybernetics nanotech because that automatically has a bunch of information around it that people already know you can do similar stuff with your magic if you say elemental magic people already have a good idea of what your system is going to be about you just bypass thousands of words of explanation i love tropes and i also love the way that you can like slightly alter them or subvert them and just kind of like break into something new while also touching on the familiar my favorite thing is like when people subvert tropes especially if you're working with an audience that like really really understands the genre like it's so satisfying to just tweak it a little bit or just look at it from a different angle like there's a lot of like stuff that you can do there that's really really fun yeah definitely I think going off that, just by adding one rule or consequence to how any magic system works just immediately makes it more engaging because you understand that the characters in the narrative have to work around that and seeing how those can go awry or go well is always super fun for me. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, those consequences kind of can build into how the world reacts to the magic. And it's those details where you can fully flesh it out that sort of echo into the world building and magic's place in society and things like that. Yes, so much of world building is about the implications of what you've already said. And the rules and limitations can help with that. They can also be overwhelming. But yeah, it's critical to think of the impact of what you're doing with your magic, unless you're doing satire or certain children's fiction where it's allowed to be whimsical and crazy and it doesn't have to make a ton of sense. If you're you're trying to do something more coherent, the implications are so essential to explore. What do you think are the biggest concerns that will affect multiple aspects of a culture in a magic system? Like, what do you have to look out for? Like, in my mind, I'm thinking, like, food and transportation. Like, if you can make food or move across lands really fast, that would just change how the dynamic of society works in general. So what are some other ways that that would manifest, depending on the magic system, obviously? 
If you're not sure, probably the best way is to actually look at major inventions in history of the world and figuring out what need that satisfied and then trying to see if your magic meets that need. So transportation, communication, production of food, medicine, healing, combat defense, infrastructure, all of those kinds of things. If your magic can affect that, you definitely want to explore that. So one of the examples that I really like is if you have... I mean, let's talk Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. I still need to watch Legend of Korra, I, which I don't know why I haven't gotten to it. But the, the Fire Nation can do explosions of heat, right? And we've seen that that can actually create the pressure fronts that will blast things away and whatnot. Which means they don't actually need gunpowder in order to have firearms. Ah, I see. Okay. If they don't need gunpowder to have firearms, why would they ever develop gunpowder? Don't need to. Fair point. It's stuff like that, of understanding what it is replacing in terms of some of those needs and how the magic would slot into that. And that all can really tie in and factor into the prevalence of the magic in your world, how easy and safe it is to use, and all of these different kinds of aspects that can really impact who picks it up and how they use it. But those kind of main factors, there's also, what is it, the Persia... I think is the acronym for when you're dealing with cultures. Uh, It stands for politics, economics, religion, science, industry, and arts. So those are like main areas of a culture. Like each uh, a culture should address all of those. So seeing how your magic fits into those different areas can actually help a lot in making your magic feel integrated into the world around it. That's really cool. I've never heard of that, though, which is awesome. Yeah, no, that's a great acronym. I don't remember where I first heard that, but yeah, it, it stuck with me. <laughs> so I'm kind of just rambling. I don't know if you guys have like specific questions for me or anything. <laughs> I mean, not specifically for you, but... All right, Clark, so you've got a story. You've got it fleshed out in your mind. And then you're like, well, I feel like I want it to be magical. I, w- I want to add a little extra wonder to it. How do you marry this magic with the story and try and integrate them without letting either of them suffer. Because I feel like a lot of times you can use magic and kind of you just paint it onto a story, and you're just clouding what the story you're actually trying to tell is. That is a really great question. There's a lot of ways to answer that that are obviously going to depend entirely on what you're trying to do. Like That's the biggest part of all of this, is it's just like any other part of writing, with your theme, with your characters, anything. Mm -hmm. You're trying to match it together to do what you want it to do. So with the magic systems, there's a really easy and quick exercise that I actually like to do with people that I work with, anybody that I'm coaching, that kind of stuff. I call it speed dating your magic system. And you have the main components of your story, character, plot, setting, theme, and elemental genre, or or just genre, and then your magic system. With the exercise, you have one minute per item to write down the single thing that has you most interested about that component. So your magic, it can be a very specific scene, it can be just a high-level concept. Your plot, you talk about the main part of your plot that has you most interested, and you do that for all of the components. The next thing you do is you take three to four minutes per item and explore how the magic can connect to your favorite part. Hmm. An example of that, I was I was working with a friend where we were going through and she liked the idea of the perspective of children actually providing an advantage in solving problems. Okay. 
so with that the connection we made there is to make her magic support that we wanted to end up building a magic system that was simple and intuitive enough that children could understand that didn't mean it needed to be dumb or simple it just meant it was going to be less about mechanical scientific principles and more things that are intuitive and fitting into the nature of the world as we know it so that that can fit into their general problem solving methodology Hmm. yeah so going through each of them like that will give you a huge leg up on making sure that it's more than just something that you slapped onto the top and use as just a magic gun or whatever which you can just do it as a magic gun This is a whole side tangent, but a lot of it comes down to a matter of emphasis. The more focus you put on your magic system, the more integrated it needs to be. So if you just painted it on and it's not connected to the plot, it's not connected to the characters, but you spend hundreds or if you spend hundreds or even thousands of words talking about the magic system, I'm going to feel a little robbed because it almost feels like wasted space because it's not like it's interesting, but it didn't really do anything for everything else yeah definitely i can understand what you're saying that so that's one of the go ahead i was gonna say that's really interesting because i've recently started rereading a book of mine and i was blown away because i hadn't remembered there being so much exposition i could understand why it worked i was like why do i like this i'm confused like all of the advice we give is to not just give exposition but when i think about it the way that you're explaining it it makes sense why it works because all of it ties into the central narrative like all of it ties into the development of the characters it's not just there to like explain explain the magic it also explains the story and i just never realized that before and so thank you for bringing that (laughs) into the picture that's cool that's really cool yeah just where you can making things in your story serve more than one purpose just makes it stronger for the most part yeah i mean i i could go on about making your magic matter for like specific things but in general that's one of the main things i sit down with people to make sure they have considered how it connects to the other major aspects of the story they want to tell and that alone usually kickstarts ideas and changes the nature of the story and the flow and the characters and resolves a lot of that it it feels much more integrated after doing that yeah and i feel that's one of those things where if you start from the correct like frame of mind and you're working to build them together as you start it very naturally will help the whole process even if it's not completely smooth it'll at least help yeah yeah absolutely Alright, so when we're trying to define magic, I saw a little definition on your website, something along the lines of magic is the difference between what is and what could be, or it's like the bridge we cross to take us to what the world could be. Yeah, so when I talk about magic, I am talking about really any of those fantastical elements of your stories. So the definition that I use and reuse and reuse until people get annoyed with it is that magic is anything enabling effects or actions beyond our current capability or understanding. Right. And then because I brought that up because you like to talk about science fiction as basically just another flavor of magic. Yes. Which I feel like would be a very controversial take for some <laughs> fan communities. I, I'm sure, yeah, I know, I know. It, it does upset some people when I do that. <laughs> but it comes down to a matter of perspective, right? Because most everybody's familiar with Clark's third law. And not, not me, Clark, like Arthur C. Clark. 
the super famous science fiction author, not me, mm-hmm. where, where he says any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And people like to throw that around. And in some cases, they throw it around where I don't think it necessarily applies. But it is still true. And the counterpoint I like to bring up for that, there's a webcomic called Girl Genius, where there's a side quest they go on, and one of the lines that comes up is, any sufficiently analyzed magic is indistinguishable from technology. And... (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Those two kind of solidify the picture. (laughs) Yeah, and that's kind of interesting, because when we do look at magic, especially with harder systems, we feel like if we can fully understand it, it it doesn't necessarily lose the mystique and the charm that comes with it being magical, but I think someone told Sanderson once that he explains his magic so well that it's not really magic anymore, and I I can kind of appreciate that sentiment, where sometimes we don't need to know all of it. And they feel different in our stories. I'm not trying to say that they are exactly the same, because they're not. They are different types of magic systems, but As storytellers, we can approach them the same way when we're building them. And the perspective is incredibly important while doing this. So in a lot of cases, when you're dealing with science fiction, the aspect that makes it magical is from our perspective as the audience, because things are going on in the story that are beyond our current capability or understanding in the world we live in. There might be other situations where it's the opposite. It's things that we understand and we know what's going on, but the characters don't. So then it's magic to them, even though it's not magic to us and you still want to approach it in a similar way. Basically, if you're putting things in your story that are going to be fantastical elements to somebody involved, whether it's you, the characters, or the audience, you can treat it like you're building a magic system. Does that make sense? I, I just spout gibberish sometimes, so... No, that was that was really interesting. I think that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, I feel like there's also, like, those interesting hybrids. Like, if you look at League of Legends, they have the Hextech magic, which is literally, like, a combination of, like, a magic system and, like, a field of study in science. I think there's, like, lots of fun, fun crossovers as well. <laughs> yeah. And you can really blur those lines, which actually, since since you brought it up, one of the things that I've wanted to talk with people about on pretty much anywhere but haven't had a chance so far is the actual differences between traditional magic, magitech, and tech, because there are still differences. And this is, this is going to get into a little bit of some shilling, but that's more because it's a frame of reference for me to talk <laughs> about stuff. I put together something I call the Magic System Blueprint, which has a bunch of variables and core traits that I think all magic systems have, and you move the sliders up and down to figure out where your system sits on all of those scales. One of those variables, the most important variables here are transference and probably ease of use, possibly prevalence. Those are really what make the difference between the types of magic and also the source. The source is important. So uh, transference is all about the ability to exchange the capacity to produce magical effects between people. Traditional magic is usually low because you're either a have or a have not. You either have the magic or you don't. There's some in between where you can learn, but it's very time intensive. But for the most part, we have it where the people who perform magic, it's part of their bloodline, it's part of some special gift. You have it, and that's why you can do the power. It's hard to go get it. Technology is on the opposite end. A defining trait of technology is that we can hand it off to other people. A cell phone isn't very useful. If I am mass producing cell phones that only work for me, that's not a useful product. That's the point of technology, is I can make something that 
shoots laser beams that like a laser blaster and if i hand it to you you now have the capacity to shoot lasers i no longer do because i just gave you the gun we just transferred that capacity for magical effects from one person to another so that's one of the big differences is tech tends to sit high on transference traditional magic tends to sit lower and then you have the whole middle ground to play with yeah, and I don't know if everyone here has seen Arcane on Netflix, the League of Legends animated series, but that's actually like one of the driving plot points is they're trying to give magic to everyone in the form of technology. And one of the immediate concerns is they're saying, that's actually really dangerous. Maybe we should think about this a little more. Because yeah. like you said, if I give you a laser blaster, <laughs> I can't stop you from using that. Yeah. And I, I'm still working through Arcane because I got distracted by Witcher Season 2. Uh, mm. We're <laughs> the, dating the let's episode, go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can cut that out. <laughs> That's saying it. It's always fun seeing the weird anachronisms when this comes out a year and a half from now. <laughs> it won't be that long. but. And that actually brings us to uh, the other piece, right? Is Then, there, then there's Magitech, which is mass production of magically produced technology mm. mm -hmm. and that's its own little quirky area because they have they have managed to find a way to create items that have high transference that have high transferability so some of those magic guns magic armor that kind of thing an example would be steampunk the production of the items if at the core well maybe steampunk isn't the best example but if at the core only true magic users can create the artifacts so spell scrolls in D&D is an example of that. Potions. Or, or potions, yeah. yeah. Enchanted magical gear is high transference, and that can be treated as technology, especially if it's mass-produced. The effect it has on your world will be very similar to a new technology, but it will also have some of the limitations of a more traditional magic system because your actual source of production is still limited mm. to very specific number of users. Mm. Yeah. Well, and with that being said, I imagine the more people that can have access to the magic, the more the, the revolution of the technology would be in, in the general broad society, which you have to take account for as well. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Kind of like how um, one thing that I was recently thinking about was, I don't know if you guys know Our Style Chronicles. It's like a Korean fantasy story, but they have like they develop. This is not the fantasy element. This is like basic technology element. They have like a they have like bronze and bronze is like really interesting in this world because it's um, just seeing they make prisons and whatever, but they're not prisons with like bronze bars or anything like that. And I was like speculating about that. And I was like, I wonder if the reason why it seems like metal is used so infrequently, is it because I was like trying to understand, like, is it because the metal is like not abundant or is it because it's just not enough people on it? Because the thing about this world is bronze, how to make it is a secret. And so it feels like there's less room for innovation because there's so few people who can actually work on it, which could be like really interesting from like a magic system as well. Like how when you're working with maybe developing enchantments or creating potions, like how much is it limited by the, the actual amount of people who have a hand on it in terms of like developing new things or looking at creative outlets? Like I feel like <laughs> this is going to be like a really weird real world comparison, but like... I love how, and I hate 
Apple, but I love the iPhone because it's such an interesting combination of play, music, phone, internet that I could never have thought of on my own. If you look back at like the iPod, someone was really silly and put a game inside of an iPod, like inside of an MP3 device. And it's like, that's when you think about it, it's just like that could have just been like a combination of someone going like, hey, that sounds really fun. Yeah, let's throw it in there. And it's like, it's because people can expose each other to different things that like these kinds of things happen. Yeah. So, you know, what happens if your magic users are so limited um, when you're developing these, like, magic technologies? Something to think about. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And and to continue off that, not only depending on how many people have access to it, it's like, what's the agenda? Like, do people really want it to get out? Like, maybe people want to keep it to themselves. Or maybe they want Mm. everyone to have it because that will maybe better everyone's lives or that will bring destruction. And that's what the uh, majority of characters want that have access to it. Yeah, Yeah, like the main limiting factor in the real world would be money. So, like, imagine if every cell phone actually cost $500,000 and how that would just absolutely change the world as we Mm -hmm. know it today. Right. And that's where kind of the prevalence comes in. Like you have, and all of these things can, can cover so many various aspects. It could be the prevalence of the materials, kind of like you mentioned, Opal, or it can be the actual prevalence of the people creating it. So if for some reason there was literally only one factory in the world that could make iPhones, that alone would change everything Mm. because their production rate would be limited and that would change which parts of society got the phones, how often they were used, how that affected long-range communication. And Mm -hmm. if you take it a step further, what if iPhones were the only viable cell phones? Mm. That just changed even further where now only the people that can get a hold of these are able to do spontaneous long-range communication rather than fixed communication hubs of landlines. We're going back to letter writing, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sending my telegram. As you can tell, I get really excited by exploring these gray areas because that's really, to me, that's what magic tech is, is they have made it so that the ultimate production of magical effects has high transference. But the capacity to produce these items still has limited transference. And there's all sorts of fun things you can play there. Like over history, I think it would be cool to see people who transition from being the powers of society to being the enslaved class. Because they went from having all of the power to now they can produce this magic tech. So everybody rose up and that's all they do now is you are in chains and you churn out magic artifacts every waking hour. And that's all you're allowed to do. Yeah, I think Infinity Sun by Adam Silvera has like a, an interesting system like that where a lot of the magic users, they're, I th- believe they're called Celestials, are like, I think they're like basically drained. I haven't read the second book. I only read the first book. But they're they're basically like, some of them are, are dr- captured and then drained in order to create magical artifacts. Like there are magic bombs that you throw at people and stuff like that. Or people have wands that are used by most, mainly enforcers who are basically, uh, not, not that important of a detail. But uh, yeah, they have that kind of system where magic is essentially like, drained out of people for like these kinds of purposes Uh, I'm not really sure where I was going with that just made me think of that sorry (laughs) not a problem no that's a really good point and had Williams wrote a book I think it's the flower wars Mm. where they in the fae the fairies built up an entire industrial age civilization but the way they do it is by literally ripping the magic out of other fairies and channeling it into the power grid that's so, so there's sad. an entire job. Yeah. 
there's an entire job where essentially you go into the factories, into the power plants, and you stand in a certain position, and you are a conduit as they drain away your magic. That's tragic. Hmm. Very much. Fairies with technology just sounds terrifying. <laughs> like a fairy industrial revolution. <laughs> it's a really interesting book. It's pretty cool. So I've been going all over the all over the place. Are there are there other things you guys really wanted to talk about? Because so many things. <laughs> well, I think we didn't get to monsters. We got the science part, unless we want to skip right into rational and irrational. We could do that. We could circle back to monsters too. Yeah, so I think, Clark, looking at your blog and the way you've been talking, I feel like you really enjoy rational magic much more than irrational. You want to be able to get your hands on the rules of the universe and play with them. I do, and this is actually something I was looking forward to talking with you guys about, because in one of your previous episodes on magic systems, I think it was cohesive versus disparate or something like that, somebody mentioned a secondary access. Oh, and that, yeah. that made me really excited because that's exactly how I treat rational and irrational. I have hard and soft access and then a rational, irrational access. And the combination of the two dictates major functioning about how much of your magic is on displayed and what users and we as in the audience can do with what we've seen. The rational, irrational portion is all about extrapolation from what you have already been shown. And I really... I really do like rational systems where if you show me A plus B equals C, I can then start making assumptions of, okay, then A plus C should equal D and B plus C should equal E. And then I can start growing out from there and saying, okay, well, that's A plus B. What if I did A minus B or A times B or B minus A? And the ability to do that and then be correct is what makes a system rational. Yeah, and I feel like that's one of those things when it's well done, the readers really enjoy being able to guess what's going to happen next to an extent, where it's like, I understand what's about to happen because the magic was explained, I can predict how any given situation will go before it even happens on the page. It can be satisfying. It, it's very, very satisfying. That's one of the reasons that I'm such a fan of Sanderson's hard magic systems, because... He loves leading you to believe A and B and C, and you go the entire story, and you're like, all right, this all makes sense, I'm following it, and then at the very last second he says, also, there's an imaginary number. Yes, there's a hidden variable you didn't know about, and we're going to change that now. But it still makes sense. Yeah. And that's the best part. Yeah, and Jack, I don't know if you have a favorite between those. For myself, I like both, to be quite honest. I mean, I, I haven't read a lot of Sanderson, to be quite frank, but I think both are, if done well, I think obviously when it comes to making a rational system, you have to be careful of if you make those equations and then when the audience gets to a part and then it doesn't add up, then it feels like you've been cheated a little bit. So you have to really, I think you have to try and put yourself in the audience's shoes and understand what they're going to come up with. Yeah, implications are exceptionally important when you're dealing with rational magic systems but you're right i do think all of the types of magic have value and it in general it it breaks down to a couple of things in my head so hard hard and soft for me is a little different from how sanderson talks about hard and soft Mm -hmm. in his essays to me hard and soft is simply what percentage how much of the magic system is explained or understood And Sanderson tends to do very hard magic systems because he very quickly lays out 70, 80, 90% of the magic system and then shows you it's rational and leaves you to play with your imagination. 
softer systems, you only see a small portion of it. Examples would be like Dresden Files, uh, Harry Potter, lots of urban fantasy, Alien, lots of horror movies where you don't know the true extent of the magic of the technology. Even The Expanse is kind of that way. Yeah. Miyazaki movies tend to go that way. Right, right. And those lend themselves to different types of things. Like if you want to... If you want to tell a story where the magic feels understood and explored, you're going to need more of a hard system. Because if there's huge gaps, that makes it a little harder for us in the audience to believe that, yeah, this is a well-understood thing. Where um, if it's softer, it's going to feel a bit more wondrous because we as the audience don't know what's around the corner. That's where a lot of sci-fi comes in. It... A lot of sci-fi tech, I think, is usually soft rational, because we don't know the extent of the technology in the world, but once we see the tech, we can run down logical paths of how it could be used. But still, it's always exciting to ask, well, what is this next planet going to have? What kind of weird gadgets do they have built up? How do they use their stuff? And then um, the rational, irrational portion really lends itself to that kind of critical thinking as well as mystery. So on one end, you have Sanderson stuff, which is very hard rational and very rule-based, very very logic-based. And then on the other end, you have the extremely mysterious magics of Lord of the Rings and, and things like that, where we don't know the extent of the magic and we don't know what it can do beyond what we have been explicitly shown. So just... And I'm... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, just, just to clarify, uh, so I can kind of, I feel like I'm like associating rational with hard magic and irrational with soft magic. So, what would be an example of like an irrational magic system that is also a hard magic system, or a rational system that's also a soft magic system? So, soft rational is Stargate. Oh, okay. We, we know how the tech works when we're shown with it. We understand it, we understand the implications, and we can predict different applications. But what else is out there, we don't know until we see it. And um, there's just a vast universe of potential out there. Soft, rational, or hard, irrational, the example I like to give of that is Marvel. Mm. Because okay. each hero has fairly rational powers we we know what they do and marvel is kind of on the borderline like if you just took one hero if we just took spider-man that would be a fairly hard system moderate rationality but for the most part we see what he can do and we can extrapolate and predict and understand but it's not just superman it's iron man it's thor it's hulk it's um it's loki it's all of these other things and the more of these additional elements and heroes we add in all with their own disparate power sets that function in their own slightly unique ways the more we start shifting onto the irrational side because while once we see a specific person's power we can extrapolate a bit with that power we can't extrapolate from what we've seen with spider-man to what we're going to see with doctor um with doctor strange almost said doctor who but it's doctor strange (laughs) (laughs) okay that was actually that was that was very helpful. Thank you for those examples. Yeah, and each of the quadrants really does have their own their own benefits. So a lot of horror and a lot of your monster films are going to sit in the 
soft irrational um, because we don't know what's out there. We don't understand it and we can't really predict what it's going to do. That's why it's so scary. Uh, Lovecraftian horror is about the biggest extreme towards irrational magic that you can get. Like it's so incomprehensible that even just seeing it breaks your mind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't get any more irrational than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I I have been talking I have been talking a lot so <laughs> I mean it's it's job. great stuff so I appreciate it <laughs> no this is great so uh, I know one of the things you do is you like to test magic systems and this is you basically just stress testing it making sure it works under all sorts of wonky conditions um, so how would you go about testing a new magic system yeah and and very i i just want to point this out because i specifically oh, was watching like your video about testing magic and i was like or no just about i think your your magic systems like the seven stages i think it was and we were talking about how you could test magic systems like oh yeah i can understand from like a gaming perspective like you beta test with people but i specifically was like wait but how do you test it as like a writer because you're testing against against yourself there's like blind spots there so like what are what would yeah like how do you test it as like within like your own scope basically or i don't know maybe you have to break out of your scope i don't know, tell me tell me i want to know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is it is tricky dealing with anything with your own stories, right? Because just in general, we get we're in the thick of it, and we can't actually be objective. And it's really easy to miss the forest for the trees when we're in that. And it's no different when you're testing your system. the The best place um, to start with any of this, I honestly think, is to figure out how rational you want your system to be. Because the more rational your magic is, as we've talked about, the bigger a deal the implications become. Because uh, if it's a highly irrational magic system and somebody asks, well, why couldn't they do this? You can just say, because they can't. And that's acceptable because that's in the nature of that magic system. Um, if you're building a highly rational one, you really need to pay attention to that because you built it so that they could extrapolate. And if they extrapolate to something you didn't think about, you could be in trouble. And there are ways that you can deal with that and that you can even fix uh, breaks in your system, which is something that I actually want to talk about, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So <laughs> we'll get there. When, when testing your magic, it really, for the most part, just comes down to playing in your world, sitting down with the magic and just thinking about cool stuff with what you have shown when you're doing this, it's important not to to try not to come up to new, with new things unless it is a rational extrapolation of something you already have and you're building a rational magic system. If you're doing a irrational magic system, don't start coming up with new effects because you're just making your problem worse or you're you're compounding what you have to analyze. <laughs> um, but just start exploring. What would it look like in this situation? What would people over here use it for? How might somebody over here use it for? How far can somebody take this if they are trying to achieve this kind of goal? If somebody wants to break into a vault, how can they use the magic to do that? If somebody wants to escape a country, how can they use the magic to do that? What if I just need to convince somebody to give me a free coffee? Can I use the magic to do that? Uh, and walking through those things and finding the answers to those kinds of questions and then deciding whether you like the answers or not. 
because you can leave breaks in your system. You can leave these cracks and these fractures, and they can be fascinating points of your story. Uh, in the Magic System Blueprint, one of the things I, I talk about is um, one of the example systems I pull up is I built a Magic System that's based on viruses where... <laughs> you get infected by a magical virus, and the more sick you are, the stronger your magical powers are. Um, one of the ability well, I don't need to get into all of the abilities, but I was going through my testing, and I, I started thinking, what's to stop a truly reprehensible character from kidnapping people and infecting them and using these infected individuals to harvest magical blood? Basically, just making a uh, making a blood farm to produce a certain magical effect, because that would allow them to scale to a point that it could be very dangerous, very story-breaking, potentially very world-breaking. And I decided not to fix it, because that's a really cool story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think that is one of those things is you have to ask yourself, like, what can't happen? Because it'll either break your story, or it'll break the universe, or it'll just break the magic system that you're trying to build. It's yeah. like it, it's very important to say like what cannot be done with this magic. Yeah. And again, knowing if you have a break, it's okay to leave it as long as you're aware. So with that, if somebody wanted to go to the trouble of doing all of that illegal activity, I was willing to let that happen in my story, so I didn't add any rules to prevent that. In, in terms of finding these things, some of the other, the best places to start are with what I call the God Factors. These are, these are four kind of statuses that the closer somebody gets to those, the more danger they can present to your story and to, uh, to your plot. And those are Omnipotence, so ultimate power, whether that's infinite energy, infinite strength with your magical effects, uh, anything like that. Omnipresence, which can be immortality, the ability to teleport literally anywhere. There's nowhere you can't go. You're everywhere at once. And that can tie quickly into um, omniscience, where you know everything, either through prescience or the fact that you are reading everybody's minds at all times, or you can see through the past and the future, and nothing is a mystery to you. The closer you get to any of those, the more danger you're in of damaging your story. It's not a guarantee. You can find workarounds. Um, but if you really don't know where to start, Opal, I would say look at those three and see if anything you have put in with the magic would allow somebody to get to any of those states. The last one is just infinite wealth, is to explore how somebody might use magic for profit. And if it could lead to infinite or cyclical production of wealth, you might have a problem. Like our society, but let's not go into that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in this regard that I was just thinking about is that anytime you design a magic system, it's like, you know, if, if there was the worst person out there, like what you have, I, you have to think about what will the worst person do? Like how far and what will they take with the magic system that you've put in place? And, I mean, obviously that's part of creating a villain for your characters, but just you, even characters outside of that, it's like, you know, if you let the worst people out, what are they going to do with it if they can if they can harness it, depending on the kind of system, obviously. Yeah. How could I most take advantage of this ability? People will be like that. Yeah, especially considering 
most people are inherently somewhat selfish. If you give someone a bit access to power and don't put limits on it, people will take advantage of it, whether it be a video game, tabletop game, or a story. People will naturally want to take advantage of those loopholes that you leave yourself. You know, it's interesting. I feel like one, I mean, everyone knows, well, I don't know, do, do, does everyone here know the mangaka one? No. He, like, did uh, One Punch Man, and he also did um, oh. Mob Psycho uh, 100. Yeah. He's, like, I, his stories, I think, are really interesting because I feel like they're, like, the exceptions to that, like, to that god rule, which I always was, like, I don't understand why it works. Like, I don't understand what... Okay. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, no, finish your thought. Oh, I have things to say, but no, I, I want to... <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... Like, I'm not sure. Like, for One Punch Man, I really don't understand why it works. I mean, I love it. I love it, but I just don't understand why it works. Um, but for Mob Psycho 100, I think it's... I think the reason why it works for Mob Psycho 100 is because the story... The magic is more like... Or, not magic, uh, the powers. Uh, you could call it magic. It's fine. Um, but it's it, yeah, magic. it's fine. It's magic. The magic in the story is more like um, is more like a metaphor for the main character's um, like emotional state, and it's more of an exploration of like the character and like coming to understand like the emotions that they're going through as they're going through puberty. So like I understand. I feel like because like the powers themselves and like him being like of a godlike status is more like a way to explore his emotional journey instead of a way yes. to um instead of like needing to be I don't know like I just because it is like it's such You're, a fine yeah. line that he like plays well, on you know what I'm saying like it's I but that's like part of what's fun is because it's like no one does it because like it's hard it's hard to walk that line and like make it, it work is. yeah I don't know I just find his stuff fascinating for like I don't know what he does. I don't get it, but it's great. <laughs> well, I think it's funny because you said you were confused about why One Punch Man works, and then you kind of explained what I think the correct answer to that would be. Really? Is that when you, yeah, when you have a character that's super powered to that extreme, uh, the story then doesn't focus on the magic or the powers that your character has. Instead, it's a very character-centric emotional journey through that person's eyes. Right. Um, Dragon Ball Z is basically One Punch Man where the conflict is always mortal peril. Yeah. Mm. But in One Punch Man, what he really wants, his magic can't give him. And that's one of your biggest ways to deal with that is which one of the things I wanted to say is any any pattern anything that people throw out any recommendations everything can be broken and ignored and anything can be made to work literally anything can be made to work it's all a matter of whether you're able to do it deftly enough to actually make it work um, but with one punch man he's he's bored and he he's trying to find some purpose and something interesting if he wanted to take over the world he could like if his if his conflict if his story arc was him dismantling an evil organization it would be a really boring story because he would just fly up to everybody and punch them once um 
That's fair. But that's not his story. That's not what he's after. That's what everybody else is after, and they're trying to pull him in to help, and are only marginally successful. <laughs> okay. So then, essentially, the driving factor is how how does your magic system tie into the central narrative, basically? So okay. Yeah. Okay, I got that. Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and that's part of making it matter to your story. So just because you have the power just because you have the power to punch through a sun doesn't make dating any easier (laughs) (laughs) so if if you're telling a story that focuses on relationship uh, it doesn't matter if you can punch through a sun in fact that can probably make things way more complicated (laughs) Yeah, and I think the kind of rule of thumb there is, like, the more powerful your magic is, the less crucial to the story it needs to be. Mm. Like, because with those super-powered characters, it's kind of just a backdrop to allow the character-based story to happen. It's no longer the driving factor to get a little stronger each time. Yeah. I think how I'd tweak that a little bit would just be that um, the more powerful the magic is, the less it can be a solution for what they actually want. Because mm. yeah, you could still definitely. make it so it's really integral in the story, but it can't be the solution for their primary conflict. Mm. That's much more along the lines <laughs> of what I was trying to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no problem. Got you covered. Well, and if we have time, we could also talk a little bit about repairing um, breaks as they happen. So mistakes you make and flaws in your system. Yeah, I think we're still good on time. Okay, cool. So let's say you end up in a situation where you, where you have broken it. Like um, with One Punch Man, if he did get the motivation to kill a very specific person... Uh, how would we keep that from being boring? I mean, that's where you can start. That's where introducing limitations and restrictions that we weren't necessarily aware of um, can really help with that. In general, limitations... So when I'm talking about limitations, I, I think of them... I call them the three C's of limitations. You have costs, you have consequences, and you have countermeasures. And those are three broad areas that you can use in your story and in your magic to help balance things out and weaken it a little bit. So with One Punch Man, so far, we have seen him as being ultimately the most physical, powerful person ever. If we start introducing either costs, consequences, or um, countermeasures, we can actually balance that out. Uh, So a really simple countermeasure would be if, for example, somebody's magic power reflected damage. So all it did is whatever damage you deal to them is immediately dealt to you as well. That seems like a minor thing, but that just negates everything that One Punch Man can do. Mm -hmm. And we now have an interesting story as he, this person with ultimate power, has to figure out a way (laughs) to deal with this person who will one-shot him as soon as he one-shots them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think countermeasures or 
figuring out how to like combat the very thing that you're creating does allow you a nice chance to try and see it from the opposite side of the mirror and yeah that's actually a really nice balance you know i think i've been killed by a card in the deck of many things that had a power like that it was very frustrating <laughs> <laughs> oh i don't know that card but i don't know the whole deck of many things I think it's like a, it's like it summons like an exact version of yourself or something like that, and um, it was just <laughs> I just was like I couldn't figure out how to I was outsmart myself. I was devastated. Tragic. Your, yeah. Your own worst enemy is always yourself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, looking at looking at those C's can help a lot. Um, so then constant countermeasures are you know making it so that there's a price to the magic whether it's a actual literal price where you have to pay money in order to get the materials need a metaphorical price uh, a, a magical price uh, even even a political or social price can uh, can work really well and then consequences the differences I see between costs and consequences are costs is something that you give up in order to make it happen a consequence is something that happens as a direct result of what you've done. Okay. And, and it's a fine distinction, but I like separating them a little bit. I had a note somewhere. Hang on. But does that like does that all make sense? Is there any follow-up yeah, questions no, that, on that? Yeah, that does make sense. I like. Cool, because I will just keep <laughs> going. <laughs> I like those three states a okay. lot. So, um, I'm a huge, okay, as someone who, uh, really likes, um, like, young adult fiction, I know, I know, a lot of people. Nothing wrong with that. Young adult fiction yeah, has just, some amazing it. stuff in it. Um, my, what I really am drawn to are stories that are, um, an exploration of emotion or, th or explore, it's like, interpersonal, um, uh, like relationships and like how people uh, interact with each other, those kind of things. Um, and you can find a lot of that in like, um, I don't know, I guess like m maybe magical girl systems where like um, they're about the power of friendship <laughs> and all those lovely things. <laughs> but like the magic is like there as like kind of like a, a way to um, like mediate um, issues, usually interpersonal issues. So like, um, I guess that's not always true, but, but anyway, what I really wanted to talk about is, you know, getting an emotional response from your magic system, like for the purpose of like your narrative, like, oh my God, that's such a, ah, okay. I'm sorry. I'm just going to like, I've just went into a flashback of like the grandmaster of demonic cultivation, um, where, um, oh God. Uh, this might be a spoiler, um, but essentially, uh, the magic system is uh, is is like a key based magic system, and um, cultivators have like a golden core. And um, Zhang Shen, who is like a, a brother to this guy named Wei Wuxian, he um, loses his golden core and is no longer able to perform magic. Um, but it's not called magic, but you know what I mean. And um, yeah. And so Wei Wuxian ends up um, transferring his own magic core, but he knows that his brother has like a, a really strong pride and like would not be able to handle like 
that transference. And so it's kept a secret. And so Wavy John has to pretend he still has magic. And so what he does is he deviates from what is the path of what is good, what is, um, uh, you know, what is considered righteous and starts using what is called resentful energy, which is basically using the energy from ghosts, demons, and all things evil in order to supplement that um, that golden core that he no longer has. And that is like a really, really interesting way of using your magic system to create an emotional problem between two people and then like having that tension between the two um, continue to influence their relationship for like the rest of the story. Um, and so I, I just don't know, like, how do you how do you come up with such juicy, juicy magic um, like that? So I don't know. What, are, what do you guys think of like um, either how to come up with it? What are some great examples of it? Um, all those kinds of like just because it's just my favorite thing. So just let's talk about those emotions. This is fantastic. I'm thinking. I okay. Is this gonna be spoiling? I'll make an example. It's not that the the there's this magic system in this anime I'm watching called Tokyo Revengers, and it allows the main character to go into the past to try and remedy a certain conflict. And it's I've been watching it recently, and it's gotten me emotional because when he he seems like he succeeds, but then he it doesn't work. And he has to go back. And I don't know what makes it work exactly. I, this is such a great question. But you have to put it in a way that... I don't really know where I'm going to go with this. To be quite frank. I believe in you. Do it! <laughs> I think... I think It's not that magic itself invokes emotion. I think it's the conflicts that it brings about. More so than... Because like... When I watch Avatar, I think it's super cool that fireballs are getting thrown around and stuff. But it's mostly about the conflict that they have, the characters have between each other, and how that can be le levied into what you're wanting to tell. I think is most important because I mean we're all trying to tell a story that about something we've dealt with or that we believe is important. And I think that's what magic needs to levy on is how can I use my magic system to tell this emotion. Uh, more so than how can I make the magic system itself do is more of creating the conflict around it, I believe. I'm trying to think of a great example of it, but I'm struggling at this moment. <laughs> yeah, just going back to using the magic to um, augment and help exemplify and lead to some of the things that you already want to do is one of, one of the great ways to do it. Another thing you can do is you can make emotional repercussions and emotional consequences to the use of magic. I'm going to go back to actually Brandon Sanderson on this. He wrote a YA series called The Reckoners, which is amazing, mm -hmm. where all of a sudden people throughout the world start getting superpowers, but it only seems to be supervillains, no superheroes. Mm. I don't know. And minor spoiler here, it's because there are emotional consequences to using the magic. Where the more you use it, the more egotistical and the more selfish and the more brutal you become. Mm. And that's actually why all of them are villains. And that actually leads to a number of very interesting emotional conflicts throughout the series as people are trying to balance that out. Wow. Yeah, and I think the other way to do it would be 
a lot of series use almost emotional maturity as a way to get greater access to whatever magical system the work is using. Yeah. And it's that sense that you need to come to terms with whatever's happened or you need to embrace more a more mature outlook in order to become more powerful. So very naturally, as a result of trying to become more powerful, you're forced to go on this journey with the character as they grow as a person and as a user of whatever magical... That's yeah. exactly what the uh, anime and manga Black Clover does. It's the character, as they progress, just in manner of skill mm-hmm. and in maturity, if they learn something in a desperate time, that they learn something new, uh, which is a perfect example of that. And you can always look at all of the other ways that we both evoke and experience emotions in general. So we can have lots and lots of emotion attached to pretty much any kind of skill set. Uh, throwing out a little bit of personal stuff is I, I love martial arts. I, I trained in martial arts for over a decade. And then I started running into an issue where um, I, I also have general anxiety disorder and it was starting to ramp up and it was causing some problems um, in, in my martial arts. When I, w- when I was sparring, when I was training, it was starting to cause some serious issues and it was doing feedback on itself and in my relationships with other people. Um, and that was just martial arts. You can do a similar thing with magic where there's some kind of cycle between even just your experience with the magic you have and an emotional, um, an emotional catch or, a, or an emotional disorder or even just a trauma that you already have and how the magic kind of builds that up similar to what was happening with me or martial arts or Mm -hmm. how that could, that could lead to conflicts or rivalries or all kinds of things, um, with other, other people. Is that giving you ideas, Opal? (laughs) It does. Thank you. Just out of curiosity, what styles did you, uh, study? Uh, I studied Seoshin, Ryo, Okinawan karate for about um, five years, and then I spent another five years studi- studying Wanhapuan um, Shuan or Pyeonghwado, which was a more Chinese system similar to uh, Kung Fu. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Very cool. All right, do we have any last topics we'd like to address before we wrap up for the day? I mean, there's so much more <laughs> we can talk about with magic, but I, know. I think this is good for now. <laughs> I think we've managed to have one magic episode every season of the podcast so far. Yes. And at the very end of every episode, we always go, I mean, there's a lot more to talk about, <laughs> but... Do we want to be here for three hours? Probably not. All right. So let's go ahead That's and great. get our final thoughts from everyone. Uh, Clark, you want to lead us off? Sure. Again, in general, I just think that magic systems are awesome. I really geek out about exploring all of these details. I think they're underused. The last thing that I want to leave everybody with is you don't need to analyze things to death the way I do. I enjoy it. If you need something that is simpler and you can make something simpler work in your system, do what works and do what you need. Don't don't try and imitate Sanderson. Don't try and do it the way I do if that's not what you need. 
also, Clark, feel free to go ahead and plug any of your socials you'd like. Oh, yeah. So the best places to find me are on my website, which is crrowinson.com, or on YouTube as The Magic Engineer, all one, all one word. Uh, best place to contact me is the website if you're interested in talking with me about uh, coaching, developmental editing, looking at your magic system, anything like that. Contact me through my website, and, and we can take a look at it. I also have two books on Amazon. One is Restrictions May Apply. It is a workbook specifically designed to help you find where you need and help you build limitations for your magic systems. And the other one is the most recent release, which is the Magic System Blueprint, which is a magic building tool that is designed to quickly get a holistic understanding of your magic system and how it can fit into your world and your story. All right, thanks so much. All right, Opal, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye? Okay, uh, thank you. Thank you all for having me here. Um, this is like a really, really fun and interesting discussion. Um, and um, I just, I love, I love magic. I love the way that it like makes our world so much more interesting. And I love how I love, recently I've been doing this thing where I try and think about the way that we exist from like the perspective of magic instead um and it's just like magic is awesome you know like it's just it's so <laughs> cool so um Agreed. i had a lot of fun talking with you all and um yeah so thank you thank you for having me yeah and i didn't say that thank you thank you so much for having me on as well this has been great well Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Uh, really glad that we got another chance to continue talking about magic. And hopefully this will not be the last time. Um, until next time, this has been the World Building Podcast. You've been listening to the World Casting Podcast, an affiliate production of World Building Magazine. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can check out our website at worldbuildingmagazine.com, where you can also find links to all of our social media and our Discord server. This episode was edited by Rebecca Walker-Wayne.